Are you glad to be in church today? Come on, the rain's behind us. I think we're going to have some sunshine for a few days. It's good. Anybody else struggle to get your yard cut this week? Anybody? Come on. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be to church together. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 3. I want to encourage you to always bring a Bible to church, but especially when we're going through an entire book of the Bible like we are for the next, I don't know, probably two years. We're going to be in the book of Acts together, and uh, we are... 10 weeks in and we are on Acts chapter 3. So we got, it's 28 chapters, everybody. Do the math. We're going to be in this for a long time. But uh, hey, welcome to Life One. My name is Mike. I get to serve as lead pastor. And if you're new with us or first time joining us online, we're so thankful for you. Like Pastor Jordan said, just text our LPC, text the letters LPC to our number 31996. And uh, we'll get connected to you and, and make those appropriate next steps for you. We think everybody has a next step to take. In fact, I, I challenged you guys last week. Uh, to really grow and step forward in some areas, uh, two areas this summer, and uh, one is in the area of generosity, the other is in the area of serving. I want to thank you for your giving always. I think you guys are a generous church, and I really do appreciate that about you. But I do want to say, uh, this summer, ask God, say, Lord, these two areas, Lord, what, what part of my time this summer would you like to have? And of course, we, we have our big serve day, July, 20, or July 10th, and I think everybody in our church should serve somebody this summer. Like if your plan, if all of your summer plans include work and vacation, but nothing for anybody else, this will be a great opportunity for you to grow in this area. And so, so Lord, hey, I'm going to give you July 10th. I'm going to give you half of that day or, or sometime this summer, ask God, what are some things that I can do for other people? So let's grow in serving people. And then also in the area of generosity, I pitched this last week and I said, hey, ask God, like Lord, in, in addition to my regular giving, which Stephanie and I... We have committed, you know that text in 2 Corinthians where it says, just decide in your heart how you're going to give, right? So we've decided how we give, and we give a certain percentage above our tithe already. But then often, a couple times a year, we just go, Lord, is there anything you want? I mean, it's all his anyway, right? Let's try that one more time. It's all the Lord's anyway, right? And so just ask God, and we have about 85 to 100 partners that we have, uh, missionary partners, church planners. We're talking groups like YAPAC, uh, Loaves and Fishes, organizations here locally, Hope Pregnancy Center, but also church planners and pastors that we're supporting and groups like Convoy of Hope Priority One. So just ask God this week, say, Lord, is there anything you want? And if, if you don't get clear direction, don't feel any pressure. But if God says, yes, I want you to give blah, blah, blah to such and such group, Man, call them and send it to them and just tell them, God bless you in Jesus' name. And why, I, I just think there's something about uh, being obedient when you ask God questions like that. He's going to grow you. It's going to be more that he does in you than what he does even maybe through you. So praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thanks for serving people. All right, so we're in the book of Acts uh, for a long time, and, and we've come through kind of the beginning of the, the launch of the first New Testament church. And if you don't know this about Acts as a book, it is a, an historical it's a theological, historical narrative. So if you look at the, the different kind of genres of the New Testament, we've got the four gospels, which are the stories, the tellings of the, the life of Jesus, right? And the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Then you have the book of Acts, which is an historical narrative that we are to learn from, we're to grow out of and, and see the hand of God, the, the ways of the people, we're to grow theologically from it. Then there are direct, like, confrontive letters that were written by New Testament uh, apostles like Paul and Peter and James. They're called epistles. Epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Oh, Sunday school joke. Uh, the epistles are letters written to Christians. Basically, most of them are corrective letters. Some are like encouragement and like, you know, you guys are doing great, but a lot of them are corrections. And so that's good pastoring. Pastor Paul would write letters to his churches to bring some correction to them. So those are the epistles. And those we do take like very strong theological training and correction from uh, the, the, the author. 
But the book of Acts is an historical book. So it's a book of history. It's kind of the, the beginning stages of the church. But from that, we see the hand of God. We see the lives of Christians and the devotions of Christians. And we're to emulate some of the things that we're seeing from them. So last Sunday, uh, actually for the last few weeks, we've been in chapter two where we've, we, almost all of chapter two is one day. It's the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter two, verse one through 41 is this day of Pentecost. And then the, the last paragraph of Acts two is out of that day. Now it's the life of the church. And it says that they're devoted to certain things. They're devoted to prayer, scripture, the apostles teaching. Uh, they're devoted to fellowship, having meals together, breaking bread in their homes and uh, going to church a lot, and they're devoted to generosity. So we, we saw last Sunday the devotions of the New Testament church, like that is a model for us, and God wants to add Christians, new people, to the church all the time that were lost and are becoming saved. So there's this evangelistic edge to the New Testament church. I mean, you know, it's good to be a healthy church where people can come and meet Jesus. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Okay, I just want to know, do I have an amen crowd today? I'm just checking, because I got to lean in on first service if y'all aren't going to do it for me today. Amen? Just checking. It's a little thin on this side. I got a little heavy weight over here. Amen? Okay. Amen? 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 Online? Heart, heart? Heart, heart? Okay. So let me read. Um, now, now we're out of this timeline. It's not really clear how many days, weeks, or months later we are, but we get into this, the first miracle of the New Testament church. It's the first miracle done by Peter. Of course, the original miracle is thousands got saved, the first sermon Peter ever preached, which was amazing. That is the greatest miracle, by the way, ever, people getting saved to the glory of God. Now, Acts chapter 3, we have the first time that there's like this interchange between a follower of Jesus and a person who has a need, this first miracle. And I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to walk it through together. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple. If you have a pen with you, just I'll tell you some things to circle and underline. They were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You should circle that. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth, which means paralyzed since he was born, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms or money of those who are entering the temple. It's a great place to ask for charity is coming in and out of the house of God, right, everybody? Uh, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms from them. He asked them for charity. He basically held his hand out or his cup out and he asked for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him and so did John and said, look at us. And so he fixed his attention on them, underline this, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. Talk about a letdown. <laughs> I mean, the guy's asking for money and they go, I don't have any money. But still said, look at me. Well, there's a reason. Watch this. He said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What a great attitude. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Lord, would you bless the reading and preaching of your word. Let it change us forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've titled the message today, Jesus Still Does Miracles. How many of you glad that we serve a God who's still God? He's still powerful. He's still bigger than us. He still does great things. Now, some of you may wonder, like, does God still do that? Well, the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
God was doing miracles before Jesus, while Jesus was around, and after Jesus. God still does miracles. I got proof of it. I can tell you some stories. In fact, I think I'm gonna. But before I get there, let me ask you a question. How many of you watching, on, joining online or sitting in the room would say, I am praying for or believing God for something miraculous that only God can do, whether it's change your heart, transform your marriage, heal your physical body. You're just asking God for a miracle. Anybody ever prayed for a miracle or need a miracle currently? Come on, somebody, just raise your hand at me. Okay, good. I'm talking like you need God to heal your body. I, you need a financial breakthrough. And I'm not just talking about a stemmy from Joey. I'm talking about like <laughs> real financial. <laughs> Is that too far? That was weird. <laughs> stemmy from Joey. That should catch you on. Hashtag. Thank you, Joey. So many thoughts. Let me just put them on down. Put them away. I'm just saying I should be president. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, don't clap because then it's going to feel political. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be president. <laughs> anyway, you need a financial breakthrough. Like, like seriously, you're just in, you're in dire straits. And if God doesn't come through, you need a breakthrough. You, you need your marriage restored from total disrepair, whatever it is. Maybe you're praying the greatest miracles your coworker or your kid or your spouse or somebody in your world to get saved. Come on, somebody. That is a great, anybody praying for a miracle needs God, needs God to do something in your life. Okay. I'm always amazed when I hear stories when God does miracles. Now, let me just tell you on the front end, I'm not going to have a one size fits all. Matter of fact, this is the way it's going to be. This is how you get God to do your miracles for you kind of sermon today. Because I'll tell you on the front end, I'm always excited, amazed, and confounded with miracles. I've literally prayed for people to be healed, and God's healed them. I've also prayed for people to be healed, and I buried them. Jesus prayed for a miracle and went to the cross. Peter is going to pray for a miracle, and God healed him. Stephen gets stoned to death. I mean, I'm, I'm always like, I'm excited. I believe that God does miracles, but I'm also confounded, and I ask a lot of questions about the miraculous. And we're going, to talk, we're going to talk about some of those tension points today, but we're going to see a bona fide for real miracle here. And I have seen miracles in my life. I remember I was 17 years old, 18 years old, first time I prayed for anybody to be healed. And he had an abscess tooth. It was in a foreign country. He couldn't bite down. He had constant pain. And I laid hands on this guy to be healed, and God instantly healed him right there. And I thought, man, I can walk on water. <laughs> nope, couldn't do that. And uh, like the next five people that prayed for, I don't think did anything for him. God chooses to give his gifts as he decides including the gift of healing. But there is, there, I, I just believe that God still does miracles. Now, let me just tell you, there is a theological position within the Christian church that the gifts of the Spirit, miracles and healings don't happen anymore, that those gifts has, have ceased. And the theological term for those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased is called cessationism. Now, I'm going to give you some of the theological background as to why that is, um, and, and I don't agree with this, but I'm just going to tell you, this is a theological belief, and maybe some of you have come from Christian traditions like this. This is why you're, you get anxious when we talk about speaking in tongues or faith or miracles or healings or any of those kind of things, because you've come from a tradition that believes the gifts of the Spirit or miracles have stopped. And some of the reason for that is, is the belief is that the gifts of the Spirit, the miracles of the Spirit of, of, the, of the New Testament stopped when the original 12 apostles died off. And, and once they died off, they were the ones used by God to do the miraculous things to get the church started. But once they all died off, the miracle power of God died off or stopped with them. The problem I have is that, is, is that it really puts God into a very narrow box. Like he had 12 people to show off through after Jesus. And then once the last guy died, he was like, I'm going to go sit in the corner. I can't do anything anymore. I struggle with that. Partially, I struggle with it because it doesn't make sense of the God we serve according to the rest of the New Testament. But also, God was doing miracles before those jokers came along. 
And, and I just have seen God do miracles since then. In fact, another part of the doctrine of cessationism, and I was reading a commentary this week uh, on the book of Acts, specifically prepping for this text, and, and it was a cessationist theologian who said, basically, that, that since the advent of medical science and medical technology, that God has gifted doctors and scientists and researchers to do the work that he would have had to do through the miraculous power of healing. So God doesn't need to heal people miraculously. Now, he just gives people doctors, and that God can do through doctors what God was doing through miracles. And I, again, think that's a pretty narrow view of God. And it negates the fact that God in the Old Covenant was called God the Great Physician. And he was a doctor before anybody went to med school. And he's always been doing miraculous things uh, medically and physically. And, but there's this belief that we, need, we have doctors now so we don't need miracles of healing. Or, for example, like we talked about speaking in tongues a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. And people have said, well, we have Rosetta Stone. What do we need the Holy Spirit teaching us languages for? I've literally heard that doctor, that like reasoning before. Okay, so let me tell you about a medical doctor who was miraculously healed in our church. Two years ago, my mentor came and he preached here. His name's Pastor Rod Loy. And a few weeks before a guest speaker comes, I always try to tell him, hey, here's the series we're doing. Love for you to join our series. And Pastor Rod, about two weeks before he comes, he says, man, I appreciate the series you're doing, but I really feel like God wants me to preach on healing, physical healing. I was like, well, you're the mentor, so whatever. Fine. Um, so he comes with this message, and, and Pastor Rod's not super, like, like, gregarious. He's not a big personality. In fact, for two of the four services, he sat on a stool and preached just very much like a teaching pastor. He never moves from the pulpit. He doesn't wander around or tell a lot of funny jokes. But he does this whole message. Not that he's not funny. He does this whole message on healing, and at the end of his sermon, he asks the room if anyone in the room would like to be prayed for for healing physical healing in your body. He said, I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just want to know if there's anyone here that needs healing. Well, and the top of our stadium seats, which if you're not in the room, you don't know what I'm talking about, but to my left at the top of the stadium seat is a good friend of mine who's a medical doctor. In fact, he's an OBGYN. He's one of the top doctors in our community. He's been here for a long time. He delivered my two youngest daughters, in fact. And as an OBGYN, you got to be able to deliver babies. You got to be able to do surgeries. You got to be able to do all kinds of stuff with your hands, your arms, your shoulders. Obviously, you got to be able to Simba new babies up. Come on, like, hey, here's your baby. <laughs> I totally think you should do that. But anyway, so that guy is sitting in the room, and both of his shoulders are completely trashed. He has. Uh, just over the years, just done a lot of damage, dislocations or, you know, working out or just all this kind of work with his shoulders, completely damaged all the way into the interior parts of his shoulders. He had gone to see an orthopedic surgeon colleague of his and had multiple MRIs, physical therapy, and had uh, injections for like a couple of years on both shoulders. And his doctor, his orthopedic doctor friend told him, there's nothing that is going to cure this. It will never heal on its own. Even surgery won't help. And if you get surgery... It's not a guaranteed cure, and you're going to have to be out of practice for like six months in order to even go through the two different surgeries. And so he had resolved, literally, he was just going to live with this chronic pain for the rest of his life. Well, he's in the back of the room during that service. Now, he comes from a tradition uh, that teaches that the gifts and the miracles of God are dead, and he's sitting in the room in the back, and Pastor Rod says, does anybody want to pray and ask God to heal them physically? And he raises his hand. And he said, okay, if anybody's praying for healing, just where you are, just stand up and let me pray for you. So right here from the platform, he prays and he's just praying very general prayers that God would heal. And that day he goes home, no difference. The next morning, and I asked him to corroborate this story with me again this weekend to get it clear. And he was in our last service and he said, I told it all correct. So that's good. The preacher didn't lie. 
So he says the next morning he woke up and one shoulder was completely pain-free, like no pain at all. He could rotate it, he could move it, he could do things with it that he wasn't able to do before. And he's like, 50% healed, that's amazing. How many of you know, that's a great start. The next morning, two days later, after Sunday, so now Tuesday morning, he wakes up and his second shoulder is completely pain-free. So I asked him about it this weekend. I said, hey, I wanted to share that story, but you know, I'm a logic brain and I'm a thinker too. So I'm thinking, well, he felt good for the weekend, but how's he really doing? And I asked him today and he said, two years later, I'm still 100% pain-free, no meds, no shots, no issues. God completely healed me. Now listen, God healed a medical doctor. <laughs> oh, the irony, right? Isn't that great? And, and, and listen, I'm telling you, that guy is still healed, no pain, praise God. Why? Because God is still a healer. God's a miracle worker. He still does the miraculous. And the text we're looking at today shows for the first time God using one of the Christians of the New Testament to be a part of miraculous healing. I remember years ago, we have a lady in our church named Grace. She's amazing. I call her Amazing Grace. And she had polyps in her intestines, in her large intestine. And she had gone to see her doctor, and over the years, they kept saying, these are getting worse, these are getting worse, and they said, if these flare up anymore, we're going to have to do surgery for you. And so they did. They flared up, and she goes to see her doctor, and they said, we're going to have to do surgery for you. So they scheduled the surgery. She comes to church the week of her surgery. This is in our old building here. And she said, I'm praying. I don't want to have surgery. I'm praying. I'm praying. She said, I'm going to, and I told her, I remember telling her, I said, you need to go to your small group and pray for healing. You need to pray and, and let them rub put oil on you and pray for you like the Bible says. She went to her small group that week of her surgery and then went into the surgeon's office on the day of her surgery as scheduled. And she said, before you do surgery, I want you to check me one more time. So they go in and they do the check on the polyps and they were 100% gone. She was completely healed. That's somebody in your church. God is a healing God. To God be the glory. So here's the thing. I love that. I've seen it over the years, and yet it, it often leaves me with questions, and I've got to, I've got to go, I, I, I want to wrestle through some of those questions today, but as we see in this text, in Acts chapter 3, it's the first time God did something miraculous, and there were some things that led up to it that I want us to explore today. So the first thing I want you to understand, there's always going to be human need, always. There's always going to be need. Jesus said it like this. He said, the poor you will always have with you. Like you would think when God comes that he could just zap the whole world and fix all the problems in the world, but he didn't do that. There's always going to be need. There's always going to be sickness and infirmity and disease and, and, and people who don't get what seems like a fair shake or, or in this situation, this guy was born paralyzed. There's always going to be human need, but watch what happens. In verse one, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, I think it's important to see first, before we get into the miracle that happens, the pattern that was established. See, the custom of these disciples was a regular prayer life. If you see back a, a paragraph in Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says they had devoted themselves to prayer. Can I just tell you something? Many of us are begging, many of us are expecting or demanding that God do stuff, but we're not actually spending time with the God who can do it. We've got to build our life in prayer, most of all. In fact, as you study the New Testament, as you study the book of Acts, almost every miracle that happens is after they spend a lot of time in prayer. Now, it's not a formula. I'm not trying to say if you pray enough, you can manipulate God. But I am saying that when there are miracles, it's usually after they pray. And some of us don't have a prayer life. Some of us only know prayer is bedtimes and blesses food to the nourishment of our bodies. We don't have a prayer life, like beat the gates of hell kind of prayer, storm the, cages, the gates of heaven kind of prayer. Look, they were so committed to the prayer, they actually named a service after it. It was called the hour of prayer. 
We got Sunday morning service. We got kid point. We got Wednesday night service. We got the hour of prayer. Now notice it's the ninth hour. Now the Jewish clock is different than our clock, right? So the, the, the Jewish day, the first century Middle Eastern day started at 6 a.m. So that's zero. So at 9 a.m. is the third hour. Noon is the sixth hour. Three in the afternoon is the ninth hour. It's like military time, right? It's 1400. I got to subtract 12 every time I hear that, you know. The ninth hour would be three in the afternoon. I find it interesting that they love to pray at three in the afternoon because this is actually the time Jesus died on the cross. He died at three, at three in the afternoon at the ninth hour. So you got to think for the disciples, they're thinking, this is a special time of day to pray. It's the time when our Lord died. But they're going up to the temple for an hour of prayer. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you spent an hour with God in prayer? When's the last time you just pounded the gates of heaven in prayer and just worship God and spent time on your face before God. I'm talking serious prayer time, not no patty cake, get up in your feels kind of prayer. I'm talking get up in the word, get in the spirit kind of prayer. They actually had dedicated prayer times. This hour of prayer, by the way, we offer as well at LifePoint. We have an hour of prayer every Tuesday and it's the real ninth hour, 9 a.m. <laughs> it's the today ninth hour. Every, nine, every Tuesday, at 9 a.m., your church has an hour of prayer. We pray over every single need that you turn in, and we meet at our Rossview Road location. When we have other campuses, we'll have them there as well. But we meet at our Rossview Road location, and you can join us online. I want to encourage everybody, set a reminder on your phone, set a reminder on your calendar. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, we pray for an hour. You know what? I want to see the miracle power of God in our church too. But I think there's something about we got to start prepping the ground for that by being people of prayer. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Okay, we would love for you to join us in prayer. We pray in small groups, by the way. We pray as a, we have a dream team that prays every Sunday in my office during every sermon. So praise God for that. All right. Then a man, lame from birth, paralyzed from birth, was being carried by someone. We don't know who. We don't have this guy's name either. Somebody was carrying, and every day they laid him at the gate of the temple. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. But every day, this is really interesting to me. Somebody cared enough about this guy to pick him up and to carry him to the front of the temple every single day. They, they couldn't heal him, obviously, or they would have. And maybe they didn't have any money to give him, but they thought, hey, the least I can do is pick you up and carry you to the temple gate every day. Can I tell you something, by the way? That's the power of serving somebody. You may not be able to do everything they need, but you can do something that sets them and positions them in a place to receive a miracle from God. Listen, this is why serve day is going to be so important for us. You can't do everything they need for their eternal life, but you can do something to set them up for a miracle from God. Somebody, we don't even know who they are. I'd love to get to heaven one day and get a, get a B-roll footage of this whole experience and go, who are the people that carried this guy every day to the temple? It's the temple called Beautiful Gate. It's to ask for money from those who are going in. By the way, I just want to do some reflections on this. I think it's really interesting that, that he was set outside of the temple to ask for alms. He wasn't inside, but he was outside. It's a current occurrence in this culture to beg at the front of the temple. Why didn't they put him in the, in the courtyard where all the money changers are, where the businesses are happening, at the flea market, right, where they're buying and selling goods? Because that's a place where people are trying to get but at the temple, it should be a place where people have an encounter with God and God moves in their heart to be generous to others. So it's a very strategic and smart place to have somebody who has needs. I got I to gotta be honest, it makes sense that people who are having encounters with God should be incredibly generous. I think if God's done something in your life, come on, you should be willing to give to others and be a blessing to others. So now, here's some of the questions that I have about this text. We've already read it together, right? We see that he's going to be healed. But I, but I have to think, I have to ask some questions about it. 
If you're looking in your Bible, and in my Bible, chapter three is on the right. One page ago, one chapter back, in Acts chapter two, 47 verses ago, God miraculously poured out his Holy Spirit for the first time in created history. He poured out his Holy Spirit on 120 disciples in an upper room across town, the same town. In fact, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus said in Acts 1, go in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So just 47 verses ago, God did something supernatural and special over there. And yet, on the day that he poured out his Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, this guy was sitting at the temple begging for money, not getting healed. I find it really puzzling. Here's the question I asked the Lord in prepping the sermon. God, why did you do something so fantastic there and yet did nothing here? Why is it in the same city God will do something supernatural in this group of 120 disciples, followers of Jesus, and yet this man has every day been put in, the te- in front of the temple to ask for help, and God, you did nothing across town for him. Anybody else think that's a weird question? It's just a quandary that I, I asked to the Lord. I said, God, why would you do something in them and not do something in him? And I think the answer, which is where we're headed, I believe the answer has less to do with God and more to do with God's people. See, I believe that's why God chooses to use his church. See, listen, if you study it out, in Acts chapter two, he poured out his spirit on his people so that they would be a part of meeting that person. See, if you read the text, it says, now Peter and John, who were in that upper room, went to the temple and encountered this guy. The plan of God is that the people of God participate with the work of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's so that they could be a part of meeting the needs. See, I could pray and say, God, why don't you just zap the whole planet? Why don't you just fix every problem in the world? Why don't you just solve all the problems in the world? But God says, no, no, no. It's through the church. Ephesians 3.10. Through the church, the manifold power and wisdom of God should be known. God has chosen that that we would get to participate with him. He gave his power to the church so that we can bring his power to the world. We get to be the preachers. We get to be the ones laying on of hands so that others may be healed. Listen to me. God wants to use you. That's why he's given you his Holy Spirit so that he can change them. Sometimes people get so mad. They think God's not fair. Why would he do it for them and not for them? And God looks at us and go, why don't you get involved with them? That's why I've given you my spirit. God, why don't you change my coworker? He says, why do you think I gave you that job? God, why don't you change my neighbors? I wish you'd have them move out. And he goes, no, no, no. That's why I moved you next to them. Some of us are bitter about the the in-laws that we have. What you need to see them is a gift that you're the gift of God to them. Your family's not a problem. They need Jesus. That's why you're there. Your neighbors aren't a problem. They need Jesus. That's why you're there. So why did God do for them? Because he empowers his church. And I think it's interesting the position of the man lame. He's outside of the temple. Not only is he physically outside of the house of God, but I think there's a symbolic reason why Luke chose to show us that. It's because his heart is not in as a person of God either. But God was waiting on Peter and John because they're filled with the spirit of God so that they would show up and meet his need. Man, you know, it's easy to hold God accountable for him not doing enough in the world and say, well, God doesn't heal everybody or God doesn't do blah, blah, blah. And I know people that have tried and God didn't do it. But you know, we don't get to hold God accountable for his will, but he certainly can hold us accountable for his plan, right? Like his plan 
is that through the church, he would do miracles. That through us, like Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite scriptures, it says that to him, God, who is able to do exceeding, abundantly, immeasurably, above all we can ask or think or imagine according to the power of God, listen, at work in us. Now, here's what that means. God wants to do immeasurably in your business, in your family, in your neighborhood, on your vacation. God wants to do miraculously according to his power at work in us. There's a place for the church to be in. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Pesky little verses in scripture like when Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I do and greater things than I did. How many of you know Jesus was a healer? Well, he wants to heal through you too. How many of you know Jesus was a preacher? He wants to preach the gospel through you. Hello. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. That's fine. You'll get fired up later. It'll be like that doctor's miracle. Two days later, you'll be like, ooh, that was a good word. So why didn't God do something over there with that man? Because God knew Peter and John would encounter him. Why isn't God meeting every need in your office or neighborhood or family? Because God knows you're there. I'm telling you, our world needs Jesus. The needs of our world will never go away. People need miracles. They need salvation. They need healing. Our world will always have needs, and I'm truly convinced that God wants to use you full of the spirit, full of his word, full of wisdom, full of power. Let me tell you something that'll limit that. Sin apathy, spiritual laziness will keep you from being useful to God. But if you'll humble yourself, repent, stay close to God, be filled with his spirit, filled with his word, filled with his wisdom, God wants to. Notice this all started because they were on their way to prayer. All right. Now, other things I noticed about this text. It's interesting to me, the paralyzed man was asking for money, not for healing. You think he'd be laying there going, does anybody know a doctor? Anybody know a doctor? Anybody know a shaman? Somebody that can heal me? He couldn't work because he was paralyzed, so he needed money. He wanted money. He was outside of the temple to get money, but he wasn't asking for prayer for healing, and he wasn't asking to be brought into the temple where prayer was about to happen, which I find interesting. But I gotta challenge you something, church. We need to help people get what they need, not just what they want. Our world is so selfish. I mean, think about it. People want notoriety and fame and followers and likes, and they want you to join their bandwagon and get on their crusade. They want you to stand with them on all kinds of issues and matters. But what they really need is to find hope and wholeness and peace and love and joy through the, uh, a life full of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. People want all kinds of stuff in this world. They want stimmies. They want money. They want fame. They want to win the lottery. Can I tell you how many times I've had people, pastor, pray, I'm playing the Powerball. I'm like, brother, I'll pray both hands. Come on. You're going to triple tithe if you win that one, though, bless God. Like, like Zacchaeus, I will give four times back to the Lord, you know. If I'm praying over your lottery ticket, you better know I'm coming when you get off the news. I see the news left, bless God. We're building churches now, Jesus' name. 40%. I laid both hands on that miracle card. Hallelujah. <laughs> I've had church folks say, like, I cannot believe you would endorse gambling. I'm not endorsing gambling. I'm endorsing tithing. <laughs> and listen, the wealth of the wicked is set up for the just. Hallelujah. It's in the Bible. Read it. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm getting scratch off cards today in Jesus' name. <laughs> Please make sure your children are fed and your bills are paid. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm not telling you what to do. But I've literally had people ask me that before, you know. Uh, so people want all kinds of stuff, but we need to be willing to give people what they need, not just what they want. This guy wanted money, 
He needed Jesus. This guy wanted provisions for his day. He needed Jesus. And so the Bible says that Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did John. And then they said to him, look at us. It's not enough for them to look at him and him just kind of look away like, why are these weirdos staring at me? But then they go, look at us. Anybody ever notice when people uh, make you uncomfortable, you tend to look away? When people have needs in this world or maybe they're, maybe they're, they're, they're uh, the person that's asking for money at the exits at the interstate, right? You pull up next to them and you're like, kids, don't look, just let's look away. I want to encourage you to, re- to remember that scripture Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, don't forget, sometimes God will let you just entertain angels, like, just never overlook somebody because you don't like the way they're trying to hustle. Or you don't know their story. You don't know their situation. Listen, they looked right at him and said, look at us. And then it says, he fixed his attention on them. And I just love this, expecting to receive something. Now, I would imagine he was expecting to receive money because that's what he's asking for. But at least he had expectation. Like, some, he knew when they got his attention... And said, look at us, now his expectation is like, okay, something's about to happen here. And maybe for some of us, we've lost sense of, a, of an expectation that God still wants to do the miraculous. Like, like, we may not be like classified cessationists, but we're practical cessationists because we've just decided, well, God's not going to answer my prayer. God's not going to do the miraculous. God's not going to do what I've asked him to do. But man, this guy had an expectation of something. I don't know what it was. Probably money, but there was some kind of expectation in his heart. So think of what's happening so far in this text. Devotion to prayer, a willingness to look at the need, and a heart of expectation. I mean, all these things are, are, are settled into this story. And then Peter says, I don't have silver and gold, what you want. But then he says, what I do have... I give to you. And then he stops, period. That's it. This is the right attitude that, by the way, I think we need to have. This is why I ask you to ask the Lord, God, what do you want on my schedule? What do you want of the money that you've given me? What I do have, God, it's yours. I think this heart is part of why God knew he could use Peter to heal this guy. It wasn't anything special in Peter. We know he had foot and mouth disease. He was constantly saying dumb stuff. But it was Peter's willingness to go, everything I have belongs to God, so what I have, you can have. I don't have money. But what I have, you can have it. Man, that is the right attitude to have. What I do have, I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, I'm telling you, this is bold. It says, he, he said to him, I don't have what you're asking for. What I do have, you can have. And then he says this statement, in the name of Jesus Christ, not in my name, not in the name of the prayer partners on TBN, not in the name of the holy oil and the waters that were bought for you know, a love gift of $7. It's not in the name of anybody else. In the name, that's too far. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk, which I think it's so interesting that he puts the of Nazareth part because we've seen in the Gospels that Jesus was struggled the most to do miracles in Nazareth where he was from. But he goes, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then watch this. Peter puts his faith to work. So Peter took him by the right hand and picked him up. That's bold. Now, look, I'll pray for you. And then my thing is like, hey, email me if something happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to pray for your healing. Pray God touch your marriage. But then Peter's like, I'm going to pray. Okay, get up. And then he grabs him by the hand and stands him up. How in the world does he have that kind of confidence? Because look, how many of you would be standing there going, oh man, I went really too far this time. (laughs) And then you got to let the guy go and see if God shows up. I think it's because Peter had a robust prayer life. He just knew God. 
I mean, obviously, Peter had the luxury of doing life with Jesus. He walked on water with the guy. He knew that he could. But, the, but I think Peter knew that he would. So he stands the guy up. You know, we got to pray for people. We also may have to walk them through some things. I believe God's going to heal your marriage, and I'm going to pay for your marriage counseling. I believe God can transform your heart, and I'm going to bring you to my small group. I believe God can physically heal you, and I'm going to put my hands on you, and I'm going to stand you up. That's bold. But I think it's because Peter had a robust prayer life. I think it's because this guy was expecting something to happen. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I've seen this happen before, and I've seen it not happen. And I'm stuck with questions sometimes. I mean, Jesus prayed. Jesus himself prayed to the Father, God, if you can deliver me from the cross, that'd be great. And God's like, no, you got to go through that. And I'm going to talk to you about why I think it's another unique moment, uh, reason why God chose to heal this guy. And maybe why he hasn't healed you the way you've asked. But, but listen, he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping. He didn't even walk first. He leapt first. <laughs> I mean, how would you like that? Woo-hoo. He stood and then began to walk and he entered the temple. Remember, it didn't happen at, in the church. It was out of the church. God did the miracle through a man of God outside of the walls. Some of us only know how to get prayer by bringing your friends to church and calling your pastor to pray. No, you pray. You're full of the spirit. It doesn't happen to happen in here. You're the body of Christ. Then he entered the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. What a moment. Listen, Peter didn't call down Jesus from heaven and go, okay, Lord, look, you left too soon. I got this paralyzed guy down here, and I need you to come back for like two minutes. He walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't call the other apostles to circle up and do a prayer, a prayer vigil. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the authority of God. Peter didn't call a prayer meeting or put it on a list and say, we'll pray for you this Tuesday at nine o'clock. He looked this guy in the eye and told him he can be healed. And he prayed it boldly in the name of Jesus. He wanted this man and others around to hear the power we have is in the name and authority of Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, He said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine, therefore you go. Go in my authority. Go in my name. Go in my authority. Man, for some of you, listen, I just want to encourage you. I want to embolden you today. I want you to take the name of Jesus seriously. I want you to take your anointing seriously. I want you to realize that every place you go, the kingdom of God is going with you. Next time a colleague or coworker comes up to you and says, I don't feel good, man. I hurt my back or my shoulder's dislocated. I want you to just grab them up. (laughs) Can you imagine just doing that to somebody? Ah, ha, ha. But I do, I want you to just grab him up right there and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm believing God's a healer. He's greater is he that's in you than he is. Next time somebody comes to you and they're like, man, I'm so tired of my wife, my husband. We're just all kind of messed up. Just go, hey, let's pray right now. Some of us are like, well, I'll be thinking of you, brother. You'll be in my thoughts and prayers. Don't think about me. Put your hand on him and pray. There was a boldness in Peter. Why? Because it was birthed out of his prayer closet. He knew God and he knew the authority that he had. I want to encourage you guys. Walk in the authority that God's given you. You, Look, Stephanie says like this. Our responsibility is to pray. God's responsibility is to heal. Peter didn't heal this guy. God did. Peter just was like, I'm just going to be obedient to pray. That's all he knew to do. And in fact, he even said, he goes, I don't have anything to give you. But what I do have, I give you. I got prayer. Can I tell you, our, our world is so full of people who want the wrong things. They want their sin to be accepted. They want fame. They want money. They want acceptance. They want to be heard, validated, popular. They want more followers, promotions. Listen, I'm not demonizing those things, but what they need 
is Jesus. Will we be a people that gives this world Jesus? Why has God done for them and not for them? Because we've got to be involved. Can we share the hope of the gospel and the truth to the uttermost? Can we tell people that God is a big deal and he still heals? He'll heal your marriage. I'll pray with you. I'll raise you up and walk you to my small group. I'll take you to the counseling appointment. I'll bring you and stand you up for your physical healing. Listen, can we be the folks that God can count on? And I love that this didn't happen inside the church building, but outside. That's the power of the church that God wants to use us. So here's where we end. You got to understand what ends up happening is changed people change people. You know, it's interesting. I wrestle with the question, why did God heal this paralytic man? And we've got folks with physical ailments in our church at LifePoint. I go, God, won't you heal them? But this paralyzed man was not a follower of God until God used this miracle to draw him close. See, a lot of, a lot of us are praying for miracles for our comfort. But as I started thinking about it, like Peter never really experienced a miracle in the New Testament after the day of Pentecost. Paul prayed multiple times that God would heal him. But I feel like God goes, man, you're already going to heaven. Like, you can deal with that. My grace is sufficient for you. But that God chooses to use miracles is very often, and I think really always motivated, that God get the glory and change the lives of other people. Verse nine says, all the people saw him walking and praising God. Everybody in the temple, everybody in the courtyard saw him. And they recognized him. That's the paralyzed guy that's been out there asking for money all the time. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Listen, we don't even have that guy's name. That's how much God used him to change them. We don't even know this guy's name. But yet what God did in him transformed a whole group of people. They were filled with wonder and amazement. Man, it's obvious that miracles are great and should point us to Jesus. I can't figure out why God healed that doctor and not the guy in our other service who's got hearing loss problems. But what God does in us should point others to Jesus. I think there's something about a medical doctor getting healed when he works with other medical doctors who don't believe in God or healing. All the people saw him were filled with wonder and amazement. I'm telling you, I believe we should be so full of the spirit, so convinced of God's truth and power that our normal lives can be miraculous lives. Let me say it this way. Miracles shouldn't be abnormalities for people of God because the same spirit that's in us is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's a great miracle. He, he's an all-powerful God. He's still doing miracles today. And the purpose is so that he can see lives transformed to the glory of God. I watched this last year as God transformed a married couple in our church who had been through a very traumatic issue in their marriage. Infidelity, deep deceptions, and I watched God restore this couple. And now 10 months, 12 months later, I've watched this couple become a blessing to other couples and a coach and a guide and a mentor to couples so that they can not only see their marriage repaired, but see those couples come to faith in Jesus. Not only God caused their pain, but he used their pain for his glory. Pastor Mike Campbell, our missions pastor, shared the story five or six weeks ago. He was doing ministry for a church in the state of Tennessee. And at the end of the service, he was praying for people, praying for people, praying for people. And this one guy didn't say what he needed prayer for. He just laid hands on him and prayed that God would work, work a miracle in his life and do whatever he wants. And the guy just starts like getting like really animated and getting kind of freaked out. And Mike's like, what in the world's going on with this guy? And the whole church lost it. 
because they'd known that guy for years. And for 53 years, this guy had deafness in both ears. And that night, God opened his ears and he could hear for the first time. God healed him. I don't, I don't understand it, but to God be the glory. And it lit a fire in the church and they started freaking out. He said about five, 10 minutes later, the guy's plugging his ears and Mike's going, are you okay? What's the matter? He's like, it's so loud. I've never heard these rock bands before. You know, like it's crazy loud. Who's to know the mind of the Lord? But what we see is the heart of Peter and John to be prayerful, to be ready, to walk in authority and to do the work of laying hands and calling out and praying for healing. And God decided to heal this man so that others may come to know him. What if we started believing that God is still a big God? What if we went back to prayer and believing and praying like God is still going to heal our marriages and still going to heal our colleagues and still going to heal our neighbors? What if we would remember this story as it happened to Peter and John and we start saying, God, let me be used in ways like that. I want to challenge you to pray like you believe God is going to show up. Don't pray weak, uninformed, rote prayers. Pray bold in the name of Jesus because the Bible says kind of prayers. And believe God to do what he promises in his word. And trust that God will use us for his kingdom come and his will be done. I want to challenge you. Pray bigger prayers. Go public with your faith, not only in Jesus, but your faith in the power of Almighty God. Our world needs transformation through Jesus. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Listen, I want to pray for you before we go. Last night I was going to bed and I was like, God, how do you want to end this service? I felt like the Lord said, you can't preach on miracles and not pray for them. <laughs> That'd be weird if it was like, okay, Lord, teach us from your word, amen. All right, bye, everybody. So I want to pray for miracles today. Now I'm going to let God be God and I'm going to just do what he told me to do. So if you could all stand for me for a moment, that'd be great. If you're watching, joining online, if you could stand, don't log off yet. If you're driving, stay seated. But at the beginning of the service, I asked you, how many of you are believing God for a miracle? And you've been praying for a miracle. So if we could, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, I don't want anybody feeling intimidated or insecure about saying this, but I'm looking at you. And I want to know, if you're believing God for a miracle, like you said at the beginning of the service, would you just raise your hand and let me know? You want God to physically heal? You need God to do something in your marriage? Come on, okay, good. While those hands are still up, I want to ask with your other hand, how many of you would say you're believing God for a miracle to save or change somebody you know in your life, a neighbor, coworker, family member? Come on, okay, good. That's the greatest miracle of all. So I want to pray for the miracle power of God to hit his church today. And I want to encourage you to join me in prayer on Tuesdays and let's keep pushing into God in prayer for these things. But let me pray for you now and be open to receive what God has for you right now. Come on. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you are still the same God as you were in Acts chapter three. I thank you, Lord, that you're still healing. You're still transforming. You're still setting marriages free. You're still providing new jobs, new provision, new, new financial provisions are coming from you, Lord God. I thank you that you're healing right now. God, those that are hearing this prayer, we're receiving from you, God, the power of God to heal us like you healed that doctor in the back of the room two years ago. I pray for tumors to be shrunk down and destroyed. I pray for backs to be healed, shoulders to be healed, knees to be healed. I pray for feet to be healed. I pray for bodies to come into alignment 
of the Holy Spirit and God for you to heal. I believe that you can. And Lord, I pray that you would in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Lord, I pray for financial miracles to happen in the lives of your people. I thank you that your provision is greater than any lottery scratch off or paycheck, God. I thank you that you are the ultimate provider and that you will meet every need according to your riches and glory. So God, would you provide miraculously those who are praying for that. Lord, we pray for new jobs, new career advancement. We thank you, God, that this week we'll have provision and answers to questions that have been lingering as we've been waiting on clear direction from you. And Lord, we pray most of all in agreement together for the salvation of our family members, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name that you would save people to the uttermost. Your word said it is not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And we thank you, Lord, that you'll use your church to preach the good news, to share the gospel, to bring hope to people who are far from God. And Lord, we pray for those people far from you, Lord Jesus, that you would save them, transform them, heal their, their lostness, God, their heart that is far from you, that you would transform them to the glory of God. Lord, let it start in us. Everybody pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus that he's still good, that he's for me, that he died for me, that I may live for him. I believe in the Holy Spirit to fill me, baptize me, empower me, to equip me to do good works to the glory of God. Now pray this in me and say, God, save me. Save my friends and family. Lord, transform their lives to the glory of God. Use me however you want. I'm all in, I'm all yours to the glory of God. Lord, I thank you for the miracles that you're doing today. I thank you for it. And we worship you together. Come on. Can we shout to the Lord today? Come on. Let's give him praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now listen. Hey, as we're leaving, we we went over time a couple minutes and I apologize for that. Your kids are fine. They're sugared up. here's Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to at all be discouraged or start getting in your feelings about what God did or didn't do. I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep seeking the Lord for the things you're asking him for. And then listen, remember what I told you about that doctor? It was the next day his one shoulder felt better and the next day after that that his other shoulder was healed. But here's what he did that I thought was amazing. He told somebody. He messaged me and called me and said, you're not gonna believe what God did for me. And he was a skeptic of miracle healing. I want you this week, when God does a miracle, it may have been right now, you may have been healed standing here, great. I want you to tell somebody and tell us, email, send a Facebook, a letter in the mail, let us know, because in the next week or two, I want us to celebrate together that God still does miracles. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Come on, we're gonna trust God. All right, hey, I love you, Life Point. Tuesday, Tuesday at the ninth hour, Central Standard Time. We have an hour of prayer. I'd love to see you here. God bless you. Grace and peace out, everybody.